Come on in, sit back, relax, and listen to episode 157 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder of Azure Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices around wealth management technology. Our topic for this month is buying enterprise software, where we speak to executives from broker-dealers, asset managers, and other large firms on how they make buying decisions for enterprise software, when they know they need new software, and they also share some lessons learned around implementations. We chose this topic because at Ezra Group, we work with a lot of enterprise wealth management firms who come to us to evaluate their current software platforms, give them advice on how to optimize them, manage RFPs to replace them, and support the implementation of new software across the organization. So we think that bringing in executives to share some of their experiences and stories and recommendations and tips would be helpful. And if you are an executive at a broker-dealer, asset manager, or a very large RIA, you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Contact Us form on the homepage. Our experienced team can help you with all of your software evaluation decisions and implementation needs. You can take advantage of our free consultation offer by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. A couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now, let's kick this thing off. And I'm happy to introduce our next guest on the program. It is Jason Albino, Chief Compliance Officer, Grove Point Financial Broker Dealer and RIA. Jason, welcome. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate you having me. I'm glad you could be here, man. Where are you calling in from? Uh, I am calling in from my from in office in uh, my office in Rockville, Maryland. Um, our headquarters here for Grove Point. Excellent. And I'm in New Jersey. Lovely, hot and steamy New Jersey. Yeah, enjoying all the weather here. Um, so thanks for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Could you give us a th- your thirty second introduction? Sure. Um, I uh, like you mentioned. I'm actually the chief compliance officer for uh, the two financial services entities of Grove Point Financial, their uh, broker dealer, Grove Point Investments, and their uh, investment advisory firm, Grove Point Advisors. Um, in total, we have about uh, 500 investment advisor and, and registered representatives. Um, and uh, I've been in this world, this business, for about uh, a little over 20 years or so. Uh, with a lot of time spent in the independent broker-dealer space with some larger firms like um, Advisor Group and Securities America, um, and also uh, currently kind of in, in a much smaller um, world now with, with Grove Point, though we are owned by Kestra Financial. Um, like I said, we've got about 500 reps, so it's been a, a new and, and really interesting and very exciting experience to be with Grove Point in a smaller um, broker dealer for sure, but um, but uh, yeah. In, in addition to the independent broker dealer world, I've been the CCO um, of uh, insurance company Penn Mutual. So I've um, been kicking around in, in various different roles in different areas of the industry, and and very frequently involved in um, sort of technology decision making and, and figuring out when to upgrade and or bring in new technologies. And that is exactly why. We were excited to get you on the program because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about decision-making at a broker-dealer when it comes to uh, software. So we have a lot of vendors who listen to the program and we work with a lot of vendors. So we're always helping them understand the decision-making process 
and how you work with broker dealers and, and how you should, your software should be designed, but also how your sales process and your support process should work because you don't want those to fail. So can you give us your opinion? So when do you see, in, in your experience, you have 20 years working with RegTech, when do you see it's time to replace a major software application? What are the warning signs? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, talk about warning signs. The first thing I'd say is the time to replace is definitely before you really, really, really need to, right? Um, if you're at that place, um, I, I think when you're in a situation where you're replacing software when it's already broken uh, or where it's become an impediment to you doing business, then generally that's going to end up leading to bad outcomes. Um, because at that point, you're making decisions based on expediency or trying to plug holes in the dam rather than probably what's best for your business from a long-term uh, sort of viewpoint. So when I, I know here at GrowthPoint, when we talk about new technology opportunities, we do it as part of our annual business planning process, right? At the end of the year, we are looking forward to um, what strategic goals and what strategic initiatives um, that we're going to be looking to pursue in the upcoming year. And technology is obviously a part of that, um, either as its own strategic initiative or in supporting the strategic initiatives that we decide are what we're going to be going after. So. Yeah, you know, we might also we just might be looking at our infrastructure also, right, to figure out whether or not we need new or updated technology, just to keep the foundation strong or, or to keep the trains running on time um, for that that upcoming year to make sure that we're growing in the way that we want to. Those are all good points that we hear a lot from our clients, and that's a that's a great recommendation. Making it part of the annual planning process, looking at your applications, looking at your, especially your key applications in different areas. And is are they still meeting your needs? As you said, don't wait for it to become an impediment to your business before you try to replace it. Yeah. So um, thinking of that, the, once you've decided to make a, to make a change, so you've got an issue, you've got, you've got an application you think is gonna become an impediment or you think uh, it doesn't support your strategic initiatives well. What are some of the criteria that you use when making buying decisions? Well, I I think the decision making process and having some structure to that is important, right? So you mentioned sort of starting with the decision to implement a, a new technology. Um, I, I think that's just the beginning of a, of a broader decision-making process. I, I know that I'm fortunate here at Grove Point that we've got a relatively small and tight-knit executive team. We're pulling all in the same direction. We, we deal with each other on a daily basis. There's no silos in different states and, and different sort of areas of the company that we don't um, deal with. Um, but I, look, I have been in some larger organizations, like I mentioned previously, where the ability to navigate politics or red tape ends up becoming the most important criteria um, for whether or not you buy a particular technology. Um, so I, I, I'm thankful that that's not really the, the skill set that's needed here in order to determine what technologies we're going to buy or not. But look, even with a strong team like we have, it's human nature to have a bias towards 
you know, your team and your slice of the organization um, and, and your people. So to combat that a little bit, we've set up a technology governance committee here um, where the, the committee has us as the executives on it. It's got functional area leaders on it. It's got the project team on it uh, and, and obviously technology um, uh, members on it too. So we, we get together on a regular basis, gen generally monthly, um, so that we can sit in a room and, and figure out um, so we could just sort of zone in on the, the three big areas of what is going to help us make our technology decisions, which, again, one is, is it a strategic need or does it fit in with the strategic need of our organization? Do we have the available human and time resources that we, we need in order to pursue a particular project? And what's it going to cost? Right, because all, all of those things are finite. And if you can get in a room and honestly discuss the goals of the organization and what you're working with, it, it, it'll lead to a better outcome, particularly if you're honest with each other and you feel that sense of if one area succeeds and if it's tied into our strategic initiatives, then we're all gonna succeed. Um, the, the, look, the nice thing is about that project, also we actually use that committee um, we found that to be helpful in just keeping tabs on the effectiveness and the ROI on our current technology also. So that communication and that structure around it is really good with assessing any technology needs that we have either current and whether or not we need to replace them. And then also if we do decide to replace which technologies it is that we're going to use to do that. So that committee has a lot of power. I think it's important to have that. It's a great recommendation. I know a lot of firms we work with don't have that. They it's not a permanent committee. It's more of an ad hoc. You know, when they think they have a problem, then they get a committee together. But that committee isn't used to meeting. They don't. You know, they have to sort of get up to speed. They may not work together so well. So having a standing technology governance committee to both make decisions and monitor what you've got sounds like a great recommendation. And, and like I said, you know, like we sort of mentioned that a lot of times in, in, and there's nothing wrong with larger organizations and certainly they can do some wonderful things with technology, but um, a lot of times the loudest voice in the room ends up winning out, right? And, and sometimes that's what's best for the company and sometimes it's not. Um, you know, this way with that transparency and with that sort of open discussion, um, I think there's there's more clarity and, and more sense of buy-in at the end of that process to have everyone sort of involved and, and aware of what's going on. Can you give us a little um, insight into how you, you, the Grove Point Tech Governance Committee, how do you monitor ROI of your current tech? What are some of the statistics or metrics you use around ROI for, for your current infrastructure? Well, you know, well, in particular for in infrastructure, right, in the independent broker-dealer world, our registered representatives and our investment advisor reps are our clients, right? So um, our need to service their businesses and make sure that we are processing their business and doing so in a timely and effective way, those are thankfully things that lend themselves pretty nicely to metrics, right? So we'll just take a look at our software and, and figure out, um, you know, how long are uh, items sitting in queue, 
right? Uh, the phone uh, records, right? If they're calling in, how long are they on hold? If they're submitting pieces of business, um, what are the workflows that we've got established for a piece of business working its way through the organizations? Are we paperless? Do we have functionality that allows us to be e-signature? All of those things we can take a look at to see how effective we are and whether or not there are opportunities to become more effective in those systems, right? We, we just implemented, not just, it's been a couple of years now, actually, where we um, uh, were working with the vendor DocuPace, right? And we, um, we, we really built a front end that our um, financial professionals can engage with in the submission of new business that, that tries to streamline that business submission process and includes workflows. And we saw such uh, uh, an increase in our efficiencies, and we can do that through tracking and taking a look at cues and pulling these reports out of there. So those are the things that we're discussing. Obviously, when we implemented DocuPace, there was plenty of document, uh, plenty of discussion around project around the project. How was the project going? What um, sort of enhancements would we be pursuing? But now that it's more entrenched in our business for the last couple of years, the conversation is, has shifted slightly in those governance meetings to, um, you know, how, how is it performing? And are there additional enhancements we need to make to sort of take it to the next level? What is the feedback that we're hearing from the, fee, from the field so that we can discuss those in those governance meetings? And again, use that as the basis for decision-making in the next quarter and the next year and over the next five years. Other firms I know have uh, an advisor committee we talk about gathering feedback from the field. Uh, one firm that we work with has, an, they call it the advisor of the future committee. So they're looking for, it's basically just a, not, not a grievance committee, but it's their highest producing advisors or, or the advisors who are most engaged with the technology, where they're looking for their feedback to see where they want to go. Do you have something similar? We do. We actually have a few um, committees like that, some a little more formally established and, and some maybe a little more informally, but we do have a field advisory council, um, what we call the FAC. Um, and we, uh, as an executive team, make a real concerted effort to actually try to get a lot of breadth um, from that field advisory council, right? Um, so we, we don't want that to be a homogenous type of council where we're going to hear one voice. So one of the things that we do um, take care to, to make sure to include on that committee are um, sort of technology oriented financial professionals, right? People that have a business model that integrates technology um, into, into their process. Um, that's not the only voice that we want to have uh, on there because it's not a one size fits all approach, right? That That's not our business, but we do want to make sure that we're hearing and, and sort of pinging ideas off um, folks that might be more uh, kind of technology oriented. The, the other thing that we've got, though, um, is a, um, an assistant um, council. Right, because at the end of the day, you, you can um, talk to dozens of financial advisors and certainly that they're a great resource of information and meeting the needs because they are our clients. But at the same time, they are not necessarily the biggest users of our technology. Right. So when we go directly to the assistants and say, particularly in planning or particularly in identifying sore spots or, or areas that um, will will help make business easier to do for someone in an office, the, 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 the 
the people to go through um, in an office is, are the assistants and the ones that are using the technology. So we solicit thoughts and feedback from, from that council as well to make sure that we're solving problems that are actually problems instead of ones that we're just perceiving to be. In many firms, the assistants use the technology much more than the advisors do. Yep. More important that it works for them than for sure. the advisors. Yep. Okay, so um, finishing up this topic of criteria for buying decisions, can you talk about doing your homework and vetting? How much of that do you do and how important is it? Yeah, uh, it's it's critically important, right? So um, again, uh, it's not it's not a com committee approach, right? It's not death by committee, um, but we do have a part of the process is sort of getting that committee, um, getting everything out on the table. So um, that in that committee is where all of that vetting happens, right? You, you, uh, you, you um, gather information on what vendors are out there and whether or not there are two vendors out there or a hundred vendors out there, um, that may have a solution for you. you, you obviously have to start somewhere, right? So you, you get down to your few vendors and then um, you, you figure out, well, is, is what functionality do we really need? Again, what, keeping your eyes on the ball of what is our actual goal that we're trying to achieve with, with this technology. And then once you identify that and what your resources are, both human and um, financially, then you can really get into the decision-making part of it. And at that point, generally, we'll take that back with the executive team and figure out, um, depending on what area it might be, might warrant sitting on a few demos or whatever it is. But um, then we sort of bring that back to the executive team and come to final decision-making on, on what the right uh, course of action is. Excellent. <clears throat> so moving to the next topic, when, when, we're, when you're picking software, uh, there's two from, you could break it down to two different categories. One is upgrading an existing platform or, or application and just replacing it. Another one is new. So you're bringing in a new application in an area you may never had before. Can you talk about the difference between those two categories? Yeah, um, I, I, I tend to be a um, buy versus build um, type of person. So we uh, are frequently approached um, by uh, current vendors to um, sort of take a look at their latest release, right? Maybe they've got two releases a year, maybe they've got more, maybe they've got annual releases, but you, you really have to work into your process whether or not, I, just a, a way to, to assess whether or not um, in any given quarter or any given so on any given semi-annual basis, are you going to sort of accept or pursue an upgrade to a system? Um, and, I, I, you know, you, you can go broke if you take every new fancy bell and whistle that um, a vendor sends your way onto an existing system. So we've got to have some rationality to that, but you have to balance that with really the first thing I said in this is you don't want to wait until it's too late. Um, right. So you, so we work our when a new release comes out, we work that through our technology governance committee and really assess whether or not it's a even worth bringing to it. But if we do, whether or not we have um, the budget, the staff and, and the, the strategic sort of will um, to, to implement that. Um, when it comes to, to really implementing a brand new technology, that tends to be a bit more impactful. 
um, right? There are training needs that come out of uh, that sort of thing because no one's familiar with the system. Uh, there may be large upfront costs where even though there may be a lot of work in an upgrade, generally they're not going to be as expensive to do as it will be to really just install a system from scratch. A, a new system is an unknown entity, right? You might decide that this is the best thing since sliced bread. And then when it comes to actual, you know, getting it in the door and getting it launched, it doesn't do all the things um, that, that you wanted. So you have to ask all the right questions with new technology, questions that a lot of times with existing technology or upgrades are generally already answered. And I think it's really riskier to implement new technology um, because again, it's an unknown quantity and there are some surprises that can come out of it that generally you're not gonna see um, with an upgrade. Yeah, we've, we've upgraded, we have a, a system um, uh, through a vendor called FIS, our, our sort of supervision um, system. And, and we do a lot of compliance work using that system as well. It's very data intensive. And, and we, we, we ask it to do some pretty big lifts and there's a lot of work that goes into it. But um, we, we just are in the middle of an enhancement right now. Technically it's just an enhancement, but we hadn't uh, upgraded it for five or six years. And so it's a major enhancement that's a six to nine month project. So there still may be a lot of work um, with an enhancement, but it, it, there's, I still generally see it as a little less risk because at least you know what you're dealing with as opposed to really bringing on a, a completely new technology. I think what I meant when it's talking about new versus upgrade, I should have, I should have rephrased, phrased it better. I mean, new, bringing in a new vendor or making a decision on a new vendor versus replacing a vendor. So oh. you're replacing existing software. How does the buying decision differ? Yeah, I would say I, I, it's got to get to a pretty ugly point to replace an existing software with a new vendor. Um, Why is that? For, for a lot of the same reasons um, that I was just sort of talking about. I, the, the, the devil you know sometimes, honestly, is the preferable choice, right? Unless um, you get to a point where service or the technology or their ability to keep up with, in my world, is generally regulatory um, types of needs and concerns and risk management. Um, you know, we, we all know that it's it's tougher to pull a company away from a particular vendor than it is to introduce a new technology that serves a new function. So um, I've had a couple of instances in my life where I'd had to walk away from um, a, a company that was, you know, we already had in-house and they were still doing their job, but they just weren't doing it good enough. Um, you know, it's it's a lot more difficult to do that. Um, and and get it sort and start off with somebody new than just bringing in a new technology with a new function that you just haven't filled yet. My favorite, one of my favorite phrases is inertia is a powerful force yeah, in software. Absolutely. And there are some vendors who shall remain nameless who only in business because of inertia because it's just too difficult to get their software out. Well, I, I look. I find. Uh, a lot of times vendors are shocked, shocked, I tell you, when, you know, if you do walk away. This is my shock face. Yeah, I, I think they're very surprised that they could lose business. And, and the reason is because it is tough to lose business once you have an established multi-year relationship. Um, you, you, it, you can become very entrenched. 
um, and, and sort of married to particular systems. But um, that doesn't mean it can't happen. And it certainly has happened in, in my career. And, and the, the couple or few times it has happened, I can tell you that despite always doing everything that I could to engage with a particular vendor and to let them know either explicitly or implicitly, and almost always by the time it's all over explicitly, um, that things were not uh, where they needed to be, that they still seem to always be shocked. And it, it always sort of surprises me that they would be, but there you go. Okay, so this is my favorite part of these interviews. Can you talk about lessons learned and what advice would you give to other broker dealer executives about buying uh, buying software? I, yeah, I, look, I, I really hate to sound like a, a glass is half empty person because I'm, I'm not. Um, but I would say I've learned to be jaded um, or, or maybe sort of realistic is, is a better word for that. Um, it's really, really easy to get seduced by new toys, um, particularly if you're into technology like I am. And also part of my job is to make sure that things run smoothly and more effectively within my organization, right? Um, so it's it's really easy to see the, the fancy new tool on the block and say, ooh, I, I, I wanna bring that in. Um, but I, you know, I, I joke that I've never seen a tech demo in my career that didn't solve every single problem that I have. Um, and at the same time, I've never bought a technology that solved every problem that I did have. Right. That's just not the way that it works. That, that doesn't mean that I don't love new technology, that I don't embrace new technology, that I don't think that just about everything we do is driven off of technology. I, I think in particular, being a compliance officer um, in today's day and age, you have to be half a regulatory and, and rules guy and half a technology guy, right? And then in the independent space, I say, and then the, the third half is being a relationship guy, right? So, but, um, you know, we can't do what we do. The sheer volume of data and the data analysis that we've got to do and the amount of business that we have to process as an organization can't do it without technology, right? So, but, but it does sort of remind you to... Um, that with, with the flood of choices that you've got and salespeople, you, you know, sort of constantly coming at you with the next um, best thing is it does remind you that you, you have to take a moment to define the core need or maybe a couple of needs that a technology is meant to address and judge it really against those needs. Um, anything on the periphery of that is either a nice to have bells and whistles sort of thing, which is great. That goes into the equation. Or it's one of those things where, look, it would be nice to have that, but they don't have that. And I can live without it. Um, when it really comes down to it, I can live without it. If you get overly involved um, in sort of what ticks every single box in your perfect world um, or overestimating the negative impact of something that one thing doesn't have. If you lose sight of that core couple of things that a technology is meant um, to address within your organization, then I, you're going to turn yourself in, in circles and um, potentially not end up uh, where you need to actually be with a solution that, that gets you to where you need to be with this, with the proper expense um, sort of profile and the proper uh, resources and capital that you need to spend to get it up and running. 
one thing we do with our clients uh, when they bring us in to help with <clears throat> new technology is we have a process for working with them, facilitating a meeting of their technology governance committee or whatever committee they put together to understand what their priorities are and weight them. So you mentioned don't overweight the bells and whistles versus the core functionality. That happens a lot. Like you mentioned, they get overwhelmed or they get seduced by the bells and whistles. Oh, we need that. Well, that doesn't really affect you very much. And you know, that's not as important as this other functionality, which is core to your applications and being able to build out, understand what your functionality is, understand what your workflows are, your key workflows that this application has to support becomes the core and has to get a higher weight when you're scoring applications after demos than a certain bells and whistles. So that's a, an excellent point. When you're talking about um, exec needs to be half regulatory rules and half tech, and um, I, you said something funny, you said, you've never seen a software demo that didn't claim to solve every problem. Um, what other areas of, of recommendations would you have about um, evaluating software uh, and, and knowing and, and the whole buying process for other executives? Yeah, I, I, I think to some extent, as an executive, speaking just from the, the executive standpoint, a little away from the organizational aspect as a whole, is you, you have to sort of simultaneously be open and closed, right? You, you need to be open um, to feedback and input um, from your staff, from other leaders in the organization. Um, you need to define, again, what it is that um, a particular technology is looking to solve. But at the end of the day, if it's your area, um, if, if, it's, if it's something that is meant to solve a problem within your organization, um, you can't get overwhelmed trying to make everybody happy, right? Um, so you, you need to make people feel heard. You need to have transparent processes like tech governance committees. Um, but at the same time, if it's your decision to make, you, you, there are going to be compromises and, and sacrifices that need to be made. And so that means either at the end of the day, cutting functionality because of resources or choosing a tool um, that really targets that particular need and um, doesn't, uh, uh, you know, isn't sort of a sprawling, um, one size fits all tool that's going to make everyone in the organization's life better. You, ne you need to keep that scope and, and that scale within mind um, in order to make uh, a, a good choice that doesn't end up spiraling out of control. Excellent advice. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. I have a couple minutes left. I want to squeeze in one more question. Um, another one of my favorite questions. Can you share a horror story that you had with either a buying decision uh, or replacing software or an implementation in your career? Yeah, I I, I find um, I, I'm generally pretty risk averse um, when it comes to introducing new vendors, right? Talked about a, a lot of different factors to evaluate when it comes to vendors like size and, and experience and their support models. Um, so, and, and by risk averse, I mean, I, I'm not generally inclined to try out sort of startup companies or to try out new technologies um, that uh, aren't proven or at least within my particular space, um, because I think there's there's a lot of risk to that. And look, th there can be a lot of benefits 
to it too. Don't don't get me wrong. I you can have um, a startup company that is going to be much more affordable. Uh, that might be might offer much more personalized service. That you're not going to be kind of a a, a number against um, sort of these massive firms, and and you can be considered a, a more important client. So so I get the benefits of that, but generally I'm I'm pretty risk averse. Look for sort of best in class type of tools, like I mentioned, sort of DocuPace, where our advisory platform is Investnet. Right, we 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 go with kind of known quantities. Um, when it comes to our technology tools. So I, I haven't really, um, at least from an implementation standpoint, run into any true nightmares. I will say that I have really made some bad decisions um, that have, have led to some problems. I mean, I, I've implemented, literally implemented technologies or at least pieces of um, technologies in, in large scale projects that we bought paid for, implemented, and never used, right? And and just that that hurts you for, it just it digs a hole in my heart for the entirety of a contract to know well, that- wait, Well, Jason, we weren't supposed to mention any names and you mentioned yourself, don't do that. Oh yeah, right. So, so Jason Albino is my horror story. Yeah. Um, you're an executive, you heard of that made that decision. Yes, yes. Why did that happen? So what was the thing that you could have done better to, I, no, you know, to fix that? I, I think, um, I think some of the mistakes that I mentioned are are part of it, right? Um, in in my sort of younger days, uh, seeing the bells and whistles and being like, "Oh, we can do that." Oh, oh, if we had that, we could do this with that. You no, know? and it just ends up being more than you can either that than really you need or that your organization can sort of handle, um, right? But but other mistakes are I, I, just. I, I would say that a good BA um, is, uh, is 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 your friend, right? So just a, a few mistakes that I've made um, and how kind of I resolve them. A good BA will help you from the very very beginning. Someone that's going to establish good project requirements, and that's a good um, business is, analyst BA, right? Business analyst. Yeah, yeah. Business analyst is going to um, help cut out so many other mistakes that you can make down the line, right? Scope creep, um, you know, losing sight of the actual core mission of a project. Again, sort of losing that focus when you've got a good business analyst that can go around to different. Um, business areas that are impacted by a particular project and really get agreement and consensus on this is something that we're going to need to accomplish as part of this project. And this is something that we are not going to be doing on this project. And then having that with a strong project manager that can then sort of execute on keeping a project on task to meet those needs. And you know what, if you want to try to add something to it, then that's got to go through technology governance. And there's a whole bunch of people that have to agree to add something like that. So you can't just have someone with a strong personality on a project call saying, yeah, actually, we should do that. Also, please put that in the project plan. You know, that having that that business analyst, that project management, that structure will will head off a lot of mistakes um, before they they even happen. Um, I also think keeping timelines realistic is important. Um, I think as an executive, I know I fall into this trap. I have a tendency to push 
forward, push things forward, right? Get get things done. I think that's a trait that a lot of executives have. So try to continuously move that ball forward. But we have to keep realistic in setting those those expectations. Um, so you know, I've had projects that I, again, speaking to sort of my, my own personal mistakes, have had, had projects that literally were wrapping up around the end of the initial contract period, right? Because they just, other business needs got in the way and things were not prioritized correctly. And at that point you say, it, you know, we just continue to make compromises along the way. And you either have to sacrifice quality to meet deadlines if you don't set deadlines realistically, or you have to continuously push back deadlines to actually make happen what you, you need to make happen. And that's no good for anybody, right? That's not good for business owners. That's not good for your business. If you've got clients that if it's, if it's field facing technology and you've gone out there and promised that this new technology will be there um, and, and it's not, that sort of damages your credibility. And if it's an infrastructure need and, and delayed long enough, you might get into that, again, very first thing I said, where now you're in a situation where you have to get it in in order for your business to function properly, as opposed to it being in a nice ordered sort of um, uh, uh, logically timed out way, you start ending up compromising um, uh, on quality because you're trying to hit uh, uh, an unrealistic deadline or you've gotten so far that it's just, you, you have to get the project done. It can't go on any longer. Jason, we are now out of time. I told you half an hour is gonna go by fast, man. You were worried. <laughs> we wouldn't have enough to talk about. Yeah. So um, if anyone's listening, uh, if you're an advisor and you're interested in, in working with Grove Point Financial, you can go to grovepointfinancial.com. Um, Jason, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. That was a great interview with Jason. Here are my three takeaways from this episode. One, uh, when it comes to making decisions about software, you need to make a review of your software applications part of your annual planning process. Don't wait until there's a problem to look at a piece of, a particular piece of software that's running your business. Um, and as part of that planning process, reviewing all the key applications that are supporting your strategic initiatives and make sure that they still support them or have things change. Either your strategy has changed or the applications haven't kept up with the market. Another good recommendation from Jason was uh, creating a technology governance committee, rather a standing technology governance committee that meets on a regular basis, has a good team that works together on a regular basis in order to make decisions. Um, monitoring the ROI of technology. Is it servicing your clients, your registered reps and advisors, um, some of those metrics, whatever metrics you would need to use, what the ones that Jason was using was, how long does it take to get new business on the platform? Uh, that's a great metric because that's gonna directly impact your revenue. And finally, don't go broke. That's how I that's how I rephrased what Jason said. When vendors are, all your vendors are gonna push you for upgrades. Again, they, we've got a new version. You gotta use it, you gotta use it. Um, you really want to be careful and cautious on that. You don't always need the latest version. Sometimes you do, if it's, if it's a security update especially, but not everything is needed. You need to evaluate it. Don't rush, as just said, because you can go broke uh, by just taking every vendor upgrade. All right, you've made it to the end of another episode of the Wolf Tech Day podcast. Thanks for listening. Please go to our website, ezragroupllc.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and subscribe to our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, updates, analysis, and links, and a whole lot more. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all again next time.